there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before. And it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. Hijack means to illegally seize a plane, ship, vehicle, in transit, force it to go to a different destination, or to use it for one's own purposes. Or take over something and use it for a different purpose than that which it was intended for. The fourth way has been hijacked. All the major religions of the world have been hijacked. All of the schools of thought in the world have been hijacked. Who are the hijackers? Oh, well, let's start to point fingers. And that's exactly what we love to do, isn't it? Can you feel it? Can you feel it? <laughs> oh, yes, it's those people. It's the, it's the, it's the bosses, it's the priests, it's the, it's the professors, it's these people, it's that people. Oh, whoa, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. There's just one, there's just one hijacker, false personality. And false personality, if you'll remember last week what we talked about, this window and the hammer. False personality is the hammer in the hand of life. So who's the hijacker? Life is the hijacker. False personality is the hammer, the tool that life uses to hijack. Gurdjieff called the fourth way esoteric Christianity. Ospensky didn't like where that was going, and so he altered the course. He broke off with Gurdjieff, he moved to a different country, and he started to teach a different fourth way. Ospensky's fourth way. I'm not saying this is right or wrong, good or bad. Jesus, Buddha, pick anybody you like to pick who started some school of thought or who is recognized as the head of some philosophy, school of thought, or religion, had a message that was subverted by their followers. Not because the followers were evil, but because life is strong. Tikal is a Mayan city in Guatemala that is being reclaimed bit by bit from the jungle that claimed it after the Mayans left. There's a new movie out about when people are gone, the very instant that people are no longer in an area, everything begins to change. Vines grow, grass grows and cracks and starts to break things and vines pull things apart and things start to decay. In Tikal, the jungle overcame the whole city, the whole Mayan city. They found it accidentally. People were going through the jungle, they, they came upon these big stones. What is this? And this is how Tikal was discovered. People accidentally found it. They started to pull away the jungle. They found these huge buildings. This is what life does. A sower went out to sow. Some of you might be familiar with this story, parable. It's in Matthew chapter 13 of Matthew. A sower went out to sow. Some of the seed he sowed fell on the roadside. Birds came and ate it up. Then it tells about how some seed fell in other places. Let's change it a little bit. Let's bring it up to our own time and culture. A trucker went out to deliver. And while he was on the road, he got hijacked. So these guys, they came and they stopped him. And they opened up his truck and they took all the goods out of it. They stole everything that he had. Just left him with this just empty shell of a truck. 
the goods in the truck, the seed of the work, have to be protected in us from the outside effects of life so that the seed or the goods may penetrate to higher centers and real I in us. Well, where is in us? Well, it's not in the dirty machine. But in the beginning, it is in the dirty machine. Because in the beginning, all we have to work with is that. But just that little bit of work begins to start something that is not that. That's the something that we want to eventually identify with more and more until our sense of I resides there and not in the dirty machine. So we say, the seed of the work must be protected in us from outside effects so it may penetrate to higher centers and realize. This too is hijacked to mean, don't let other teachings contaminate the seed when it's more likely the birds will get it first. We have people who spend all of their time guarding trucks. Well, the most effective way to guard the truck is to put a wall around it, fence it in, put locks on the truck itself so the doors can't be opened, Put armed guards all around the wall. Have a special code that you have to know before you can be admitted into the, in the enclosed area. Then another special code or key that you have to turn in the lock, and then you can open up the truck, and then you can go into the truck, and then you can see what goods it has there. There are some people spend all their time guarding the truck. Now the problem is, is that as long as the truck is there, it's not in transport. It's not transporting anything. It's not doing what it was meant to do. It was not meant to store these things. It was meant to transport these things. Do you understand what I'm saying? A sower went out to sow. Why did he go out to sow? Why didn't he just keep the seed in the bag? Why didn't he just keep the seed in the silo? Why did he go out to sow? Because if it's not sown, it doesn't grow. It doesn't produce fruit. It's pointless because that's what seeds are about. To take this work and hijack it, to some system that needs to be protected, to some legacy that needs to be stored in a seed silo, that needs to be kept in a trucking yard, that needs to be kept in a train yard under armed guard so that only the select few can get in and see what's in there, is a miscarriage of the purpose of it. It's been hijacked by life. What is it that hijacked it? What life, what part of life hijacked it? the part of life that grabs us all by the throat. I'd say gonads, but we're not allowed to say that. But it grabs us all by the throat. And it's called fear. Fear. Fear that the seed can't do its job. Fear that the truck won't make it. Fear that what's inside of it isn't strong enough. Fear that what sent it. Fear that what created it. Fear that the influence that brought it forth in the first place can't do the job without us. That's the fear. And that fear is all false personality based. It's all part of the hammer in the hand of life. We'd be better served practicing non-identification and self-remembering while we're in the road. Stop internal considering, which keeps us in mechanical eyes that run the work over. Then we will in guarding the seed, guarding the truck. Get in the road. You see, here's how you do it. You get off the road. You put the truck over here. This is simple. Any arm, any general knows this. If you want to guard something, you pick the high ground. 
You put walls around it. You make sure that people can't get to it. You make it very difficult. You make sure that you can see for a long distance and your enemy can't see very far. You make sure you have as many advantages as you can get. Great. But this isn't about guarding it. This isn't about storing it. The sower went out to sow. He went out with a bag of seed and his purpose was to throw it away. Some seed fell on the roadside. Birds came and ate it up. Some seed fell in rocky soil. Because it didn't have a place to root, it sprang up quickly. But then the sun came out, which of course means some opposition, second force, and it just withered because it had no root. Some seed fell in among weeds. And as it tried to grow up, the weeds choked it out. The disciples said, what are you talking about? Why, why do you have to talk in parables? Why can't you just say what you mean? He said, well, to you... It's been given to know the secrets. To them, it's not been given. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have hearts, but they're hard, and they can't understand with their hearts, see with their eyes, hear with their ears. And then he explained it to them. Why did he explain it to them? Because they were special, right? No, because they asked. That's why. He explained it to them because they asked. Well, what about all those other people that heard it? And they didn't ask. What about all those other people out there? Yeah, what about them? You're here, you asked. The purpose of this work is to be sown into the people who ask. It's not to be sown. It's everybody out there on the road. It doesn't matter. If somebody out on the road picks up something and they come and say, oh, look, what's this? Oh, it's a seed. Well, what do I do with it? Well, what you do is you eat it. Oh, what will it do when it, when, it, when it gets inside of my stomach? Won't it hurt me? Won't it grow inside of my stomach? And, 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 and like branches and leaves will come out my nose and my ears and my eyes and it'll hurt me and kill me and it will be terrible. When I was a little kid. I had these neighbors. I mean, a little kid, four years old. I had these neighbors and when I would go to their house to visit them, they would give me a, a chiclet, a little piece of gum. You know. And so I would chew the chiclet, you know, until all of the sugar and flavor was gone and then I'd swallow it because as long as I had it they wouldn't give me another one but I didn't want to spit it out because then they would say what happened oh well I spit it out well you shouldn't have done that so I'd go back and they'd say well what happened to the chiclet I oh I swallowed it and they said well you better not do that or else a chiclet tree will grow in your stomach <laughs> And I thought, well, that wouldn't be so bad. Then I could have a chiclet whenever I wanted it. You know? Just pick them right off the tree. But people get weird ideas. Children get weird ideas, but people get weird ideas too. I just find that people, as they get older, they get more complex weird ideas. They laugh at a chiclet tree. But they make these incredible trees out of such simple seeds. These incredible intellectual constructs out of very simple basic things that if they're applied, that if they're eaten, if they're assimilated, if they're digested, they make an entirely different thing inside of you than they do in your head or outside of you. We must learn to seal ourselves, not wall ourselves. What we have learned in life, from life, is how to wall ourselves, not seal ourselves. We have learned how to wall ourselves off to keep people from hurting us. That's not what this work is about. This work is not about walling yourself. Strong liking and disliking reinforces personality, which increases our profile, 
which makes hijacking more likely. So, let me put it to you this way. Some folks spend a lot of time waxing the trucks of their personality and admiring the paint job. It's a big mistake to be proud of strong dislikes and prejudices. But some people do it. Whole political careers are built on strong dislikes and prejudices. The catalysts, the catalytic figures in our political society are based on strong dislikes, strong prejudices. And they get the most wax. It's that green wax we call money. You get somebody who doesn't have such strong dislikes and strong prejudices. They don't collect as much green wax. They don't get as shiny. Not as many people see them. They don't get voted for. They don't get elected. This leads us to consider our nothingness. If it's a big mistake to be so proud of our strong dislikes and prejudices because we'll get hijacked by life, well, what does that mean? It means that the higher your profile, the more you stand out, the shinier you are, the bigger you are, the more powerful you are, the louder you are, the higher your profile. The higher your profile, the more likely you are to get hijacked. Which seeds do the birds pick up first in the road? The ones that are easiest to see and get to. The bigger ones. The more obvious ones. And what do they get last? The ones that are in the cracks, the ones that are hidden away, the ones that are under this or under that. Justification of strong dislikes isn't the road to the realization of our nothingness. The realization of our nothingness is important. It is the most important thing. The only way to realize our nothingness is the most important thing. You can't realize your own nothingness without self-observation, proper self-observation. So proper self-observation is the most important thing. It's the beginning of all this. Now, is it really the beginning of all this? No. No, it's not unless it is. Someone may accidentally observe themselves one day and be totally appalled by what they see. It may be such a shock to them that they form an aim and they say, I must find a way out of this. And then it causes them to look again and again and again and again. And then they begin to realize their powerlessness over what they're seeing. They begin to feel their powerlessness. They begin to feel their separateness from this thing that they don't wish to be. They begin to feel their nothingness. They begin to have their sense of I, their sense of self, drawn out of the thing that they're seeing. Learn to like what you dislike is one of the things that is said in this work. This is acceptance. Acceptance. Learn to like what you dislike. I don't care how many times you do that. I'm not going to like a V8. That's up to you. Sooner or later, you're going to have to, if you want to develop, you're going to have to learn to like what you dislike. Accept what you dislike. Acceptance. Do you see what acceptance does? Acceptance is the giving up of useless suffering. Think about it. Acceptance is simply the giving up of useless suffering. This is the way it is. I don't want it to be that way. Ah! That's like, this is a brick wall. I don't want a brick wall there. So you run up and start to punch it, to knock it down. 
And you, when you get out of the hospital with the cast on your hands, you think, well, now it's even better because now I have cast on my hands and I can really knock it down. But you end up busting up the cast and busting up your hands until finally they end up amputating your hands and you have to use your head. And eventually you kill yourself trying to knock down the wall. Or you can accept there's a wall there. There's a wall there. You accept the wall is there. Okay. I don't like the wall there. Learn to like it. In other words, accept it. Put an end to useless suffering. Justify what you dislike, and you multiply your misery, barring your own way to development of understanding. What do most people do with what they dislike? Well, if I dislike another person, I justify why I dislike that person. I don't like that person. Well, I don't like him. Oh, good. What a great opportunity for you to experiment liking something that you don't like. Oh, no. Oh, no. That person's unlikable. Prove it. Well, they do this, they do that, they pick their nose, they do this in public and they do that, they don't wipe their feet when they come in the house, they leave, the, they do this, they do that. So you've justified that you don't like this person. So now you get to keep your useless suffering. Oh, bravo! Wow! What a genius! That's us. But this work says, no, don't do that. Ask yourself, what is my being like in regard to disliking? Ask yourself that. What is my being like in regard to disliking? Well, I can see by the chagrined look on a couple of faces that what their being is like is not conducive to liking what they dislike. But what they're seeing is their being conducts justification of disliking. It doesn't conduct the force of understanding that would cause them to attempt to make the effort to like what they dislike. Is that what that look was on your face? Yes, I thought so. <laughs> I'm a probe. Yeah. <laughs> Try to make a list of the strong dislikes that you have and write them down. Ask, how is it I dislike this person or this thing or this event or this nation or this group of people? Whatever it is you dislike. Write it down. Try to make a list and write down the things that you dislike. Then ask yourself, when you look at that list, ask yourself, how is it that I dislike this person or this thing? Yes, I, I know, this is an experiment, and I'm actually asking you to do it. Not right now, but I'm asking you to do it. I'm asking you to do this. At this point, there's something that you can apply that will help you very much. It's called irony and humor. If you will apply irony and humor to your strong dislikes and your prejudices, you will find that it helps to spray Teflon on them and you'll start to slide off of them. They won't stick to you as easily. You'll become a non-stick surface, as it were, if you can apply irony and humor. If you can look at your absurd prejudice against a certain race of people, or a certain type of religion, or a certain behavior about one person or another person. If you can start to see the humor in that and the irony in that, if you can start to see the irony that this is exactly what you do. You dislike this because it's exactly what you do. And if you can see the irony in that and start to laugh at that, you become freer from being dragged around by that. This way is based on an increase of consciousness through non-identified self-observation. Now, this way does not 
exclude faith, hope, and love, but instead, this way, if properly employed, manifests faith, hope, and love. In other words, your being will start to emanate. You'll start to emanate this energy of faith, hope, and love. It won't be what you're about, but it will be the, the psychological sweat of your efforts. Compassion, faith, hope, love, empathy. These things will ooze from your pores as you work out with the weights of these ideas, these work ideas. There will be an odor about you, a fragrance about you that won't be nasty, but that will be smooth, pleasant, appealing to beings that are like-minded. Beings that are like-minded. Don't think that it's going to go well with beings who are not like-minded. They aren't going to like your smell. You're going to smell like a sissy. You're going to smell like a weakling. You're going to smell like prey to them. Oh, well, it's the way of the sly man. Be sly. <laughs> Don't let them get hold of you. Don't engage them. Don't meet them on their level. Someone controlled by strong mechanical dislikes isn't conscious. He's mechanical. Develop a strong determination to work a few moments each day. You can work a few moments each day, every day, every day. Just develop a strong determination. I will work a few moments each day, every day, no matter what. When, I, when Josh and I were talking, he said, what? But they come here once or twice a week. He said, and then they go back to their lives. They go back to doing what they always do. He said, what's going to happen? I said, I don't know, Josh. We've got to start somewhere. He's right. If all you do is come here once or twice a week, and this is when you make some effort, it's not going to happen. You've got to make a few efforts. You've got to work a few moments each day. This gradually increases the force of consciousness in us. Gradually, this force of consciousness begins to build in us. It's like taking one sesame seed and another sesame seed and another sesame seed and another sesame seed and, and each day just taking a few sesame seeds and putting them in a teaspoon. And at first it doesn't look like we could ever get a teaspoon. How many sesame seeds in a teaspoon? I forget now, but I got it marked down in uh, my macrobiotic notebook. Right. <laughs> it was an astounding number, I remember. It was 326 sesame seeds, but I'm not sure if it was for a teaspoon or a tablespoon or what. Whatever. 326 sesame seeds. Somebody counted how many sesame seeds would go into a teaspoon or a tablespoon. It's like, okay. If you can do that, you can practice working a few moments each day. But the key is each day. It's not a few moments today and then a week later a few moments. It's a few moments each day. And put a few sesame seeds in each day. See, this is why saving is so important. When, you, when we were children, we were taught, put, just put a little bit of change in the piggy bank each day. Just the consistency is the important thing. Oh, I got $10. I'm going to put the whole $10 in. And then how many times did you get $10 when you were a little kid? Of course, today, $10 is like a dime. Was when we were kids, well, when some of us were kids. Yes, I was actually a child once. A long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So this gradually enforces, increases our force of consciousness, the force of consciousness in us. Some mechanical reactions, thoughts, feelings, 
will have less power over you. That's what that means. You have noticed this. Surely you have noticed this. That there are some mechanical reactions, thoughts, feelings, that have less power over you. You can now laugh at them. When before, you were dragged along by them. You can now just laugh and go, oh no, I'm not going down that road. Somebody does something on the freeway now and you just go, oh, I'm glad I'm not like that anymore. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even want to participate. Fine. Why don't you just go right ahead there, pal? I give you the right of way. When before, you used to fight for your right of way, but now you give. You yield the right of way. Fine, take the right of way. Go ahead. Have a good time. See you. You're obviously in a hurry, more than a hurry than I am, so go. With that comes a change in the feeling of what we are. <laughs> you start to notice this about yourself, that you're not reacting and thinking and feeling in the same way, and you start to... Feel differently about yourself. Your sense of who you are begins to shift, begins to change, and you think, you know, I think I like this better. I think I like who I am better than who I was then. Good. We see our violence isn't our strength, but rather our weakness. This is a shift. It's a subtle shift at first. We may still have the urge to be violent, but we see that that is a weakness, not a strength. Steve got a wake-up call yesterday. Guy said to him, well, you got this big guy sitting next to you. And Steve was like, oh, man. Oh, man. I know I used to look like that, but I didn't know I still look like that. Yes, you're still putting off those vibes. Oh, man, I don't want to put off those vibes. Well, keep working. Build the force of consciousness, little by little. Or as they say in Spanish, poco a poco se anda lejos. Little by little, one goes far. Just a few moments each day. Work a few moments each day. Don't let a day go by. Work a few moments each day. This realization of our nothingness can attract new being and free us from the influence of personality, the hijacker. Without self-observation, we can't see the strong mechanical system of likes and dislikes that runs us. We'll think that we're right and others are wrong without non-identified self-observation. We'll remain weak in a work sense, but strong in a life sense. No sealing will take place, sealing ourselves from life, sealing the work from life, sealing this new beginning consciousness, this new place where our sense of self can reside for a few moments every day, sealing that off from the world. Instead, we'll build walls that separate us rather than seals that bind us to higher influences. We don't want to be sealed off in a compound. We want to be on the road, sewing. Yes, you're taking a chance. You could get hijacked. And so we try and make some effort each day. We try and work a little each day. We try and put a couple of sesame seeds in, a couple of pennies in the bank, a couple of experiments or exercises, or moments of self-remembering in each day and build the force of consciousness inside of ourselves and allow this shift to slowly but inevitably occur. The linchpin of this work is the practical application of the ideas shared in the podcasts. If you'll go to solidrockvista.com to the thoughts page, I've written a number of articles that will help you to practice the principles that we're sharing with you in the podcasts.